You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. All right, everyone. Chris Lopez here with another deal analysis. So in this episode, I'll be talking about a nomad property that a client purchased as a single family home in Denver, just north of City Park. So this is a property that closed in quarter four of 2019. Now, remember the nomad strategy and house hacking strategy are different because a nomad strategy is where you buy a property with the intent to move it after one or two years and then convert it to a rental property. Now, you may house hack, you may not house hack with roommates or tenants in there, but the main goal is you're buying that property to get that amazing low down payment owner-occupant financing and the lower interest rate. So that is the goal of the couple that bought this property. So their profile, they are a couple that recently relocated back to Denver. They want to start building a rental portfolio and decide that the nomading strategy was the right fit for them. So they're a married couple and they really weren't thrilled about having roommates or tenants live with them. And based on their goals and their financial situation while balancing their personal needs, they said buying nomad properties without having tenants or roommates in there is the right fit for them. And they also wanted to live in an up-and-coming area or a transitioning area around town. And this is for two reasons. One is for their own personal enjoyment, because they want to enjoy the area while they're living there, and also for the potential for above-average market appreciations. So a lot of times what we do is look at areas that are on the edges of areas that have already turned or popped or that you can tell they're already turning. And it doesn't take a you know a crystal ball to say, hey, this area has a really high chance of continuing to appreciate or kind of hit this next wave as the city grows out. So we looked at a few areas and based off of their needs and wants, they found an area that worked really, really well for them. Now, this deal, like all of our house hack and nomad deals to date, have come off the MLS. That is where we find pretty much all the deals for house hacking and nomads. So let's talk about the investment property details itself. It is a detached single-family house. It's three-bedroom, two-bathroom, and it's uh, located in the Whittier Skyland neighborhood. It's actually right on the border between the two neighborhoods, and this is just north of City Park. So, you know, there's lots of uh, stuff going on that part of town, and that's the area where they like, and also, you know, good potential for appreciation and higher demand. So give that area for 10 years. What do you think it'll look like? Well, my guess and their guess is probably higher rents and higher appreciation. So the list price on this property was $395,000, and we purchased it for about $407,000. So why we liked it? Location, location, location. And this is, you know, an older property from early 1900s or sometime right around then, but it was updated. It was in really good shape. The house was also pushed back on the lot. So it was actually really far away from the street. So it is a tucked away property in the lot, which is really, really nice. And just had lots of charm and character. You know, one wall had the exposed brick, things like that. And especially for this part of town, uh, plenty of off-street parking in the alley behind them, which is always a plus. So contract details, finding the property, well, we timed finding a property to purchase it while it was closing, while their current lease was ending. So it gets to be a little bit of a tricky game right there where 
great, you got your lease ending in, you know, five months or four months. Well, how can we make sure that you have a house by the time your lease ends? Now, it's really hard to match it up, you know, by the exact day. So great, you move out on the 31st, you move in a new place on the first of the next month. Uh, it's pretty uh, hard to time it that way and also risky. So generally what we like to do is we like to be active and serious and ready to go about 90 days out before their lease runs up. So if we have our ducks in a row and we get things going about 90 days out, that usually gives us a really good chance of having a property close under contract within a month or so before their lease ends up. So we always aim to have a little bit of overlap versus a gap because having some overlap is always better than having a gap where you're, you know, don't have a home for a couple of weeks or so. So the reason we like to do 90 days is because that gives us, you know, working backwards, most of the contracts we write are 30 days or less. They're usually that 20-day range. But for simplicity, say 30 days. So for 30 days back, well, that gives us means we need to be in our contract one month before we close on that property. So that gives us two months left in that 90-day timeline. Well, if you've followed the Denver market, you know it's not uncommon to not get that first property put an offer in. So sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, sometimes it takes a few offers. So we like to have buffer there so we can go search for properties. We also can put a few offers in there to make sure that we can find the property and get under contract. And even though we get a property under contract, it doesn't guarantee that we will close the property because we still go through and do all of our due diligence. And so inspection is a thing we always recommend to our clients. It's actually having an inspector come out. And if you look at the data across the Denver metro area, the inspection item or the inspection part of the contract is the most common reason that deals follow the contract. And so we normally like to do that within the first few days to week of going under contract because it's in everyone's interest, our interest, the buyers, the sellers, to know, hey, can we keep this to moving forward or is it not going to work based on inspection items? Now, we have a really good track record of inspecting properties or of uh, negotiating the inspection items and getting properties that make sense for our clients. The industry average is about one out of five properties follow our contract. Ours is much, much lower than that. And that's because you know we're very good at screening properties up front, but we're also very good at also objecting to inspection items, you know, at negotiating it and also telling our clients, hey, we got to be realistic about things. Some things don't nitpick on. Hey, this is just part of owning a property. So it's us managing both sides, you know, having realistic expectations from both sides, but also being good negotiators. So we always plan that out. And luckily, we got this property under contract and purchased well before this prop, uh, before the lease was up. So they had a little bit of overlap, but they were fine with that. Again, they'd rather have some overlap than not having any overlap whatsoever. So we looked at multiple properties you know, during that initial few weeks to dial in the area and the price point and kind of help them get a feel for what they wanted. We found this house, we put an offer in, and they received multiple offers. That is why we went over list price. Now, the selling agent, hey, she did a great job of marketing the property and pricing the property. So therefore, they got a lot of interest. And then based on location, there were multiple offers. So based off of the way we write contracts, our offer price, the team we work with, we were fortunately able to get this under contract for our clients. So we're all very excited about that. So uh, let's see here. For the inspection concerns, the two main things that popped up were the roof and the water heater. So the roof was an insurance claim, just had, I think it was hail damage. I mean, that's usually what most roofs are, hail damage. And the water heater, this was either non-functioning or it was really old. I can't remember, but it needed a new water heater. 
So we were able to negotiate a win for both of those. We were able to get a new roof by having a seller file an insurance claim. And then, you know, the roofer came out and took care of the roof. And they were also able to get a seller concession or a seller credit for the water heater replacement. So that's not reducing their purchase price, but that is money that the seller is giving us at the closing table, which indirectly saves the client money in our pocket. So if we got, I can't remember what it was, let's say you get a $1,000 seller concession, that is something that the seller gives to you at the closing table, the buyer, and it basically means it's $1,000 less that you have to bring to the closing table. So it's not a check directly to you, but it ends up saving you $1,000 out of your pocket right there. So they did a 5% down conventional loan. The appraisal, it came in above our contract price. So again, that's always great news when we see that. Our seller concessions, $1,350 for the water heater. And they decided to pay their PMI on a monthly basis and not prepay it. And they did end up buying the interest rate down. All right, so let's plug these numbers into Joe's spreadsheet and talk about them. So I've got my screenshots here on the screen. I've uh, chosen one unit, selected the primary residence, told that we have five, we're using a 5% down payment, selected the monthly paid. I put in the purchase price of $407,000. Acquisition costs were around $5,500 plus about $1,500 in loan costs. So a 5% down payment on that price is about $20,000 and change. So then you'll see on there that we got a seller credit of $1,350. But then below that, I put an initial repair cost of $1,350. And so what that is, that's that seller credit we got for the water heater. Now our client had to go out there and buy a new water heater. So you don't see that for the roof because that's something the the seller, they paid their insurance deductible. They had the roofer come out and take care of the roof. But the buyer, they got the credit back and then they got to choose the water heater they wanted and they got replaced. So we gave them a referral for one of our water heater guys. We got that replaced and you know everyone's happy. So all in, their initial investment is under $30,000. So you know on the spreadsheet, it's right about $27,000. And this is within you know $1,000 or $2,000 of actual closing costs. But it gives you a really good idea about what the total all-in cost is for buying places like this. So the mortgage interest rate is 3.875% on a 30-year fixed loan. Now, we are analyzing this property for once they move out, not while they're living there, especially since they're nomading, they're on house hacking. We say, great, what does it look like once they move out in terms of a rental property portfolio? So we're estimating about $24.50 in rental income. We are able to get some Zillow comps and talking to property managers that it should rent for somewhere between $24 to $2,500 a month. So we said $24.50 to go middle of the road. We plugged in our... Variables, 3% vacancy, 3% annual rent increase. We plugged in 5% annual appreciation because this is a hot part of town. For our monthly operating expenses, we said yes to property management, and we plugged in the 10% average. And even though our property manager charges us and our clients 7%, we often plug in 10% to be you know to round up and help us account for other associated costs, not just the 7% monthly fee. For the repairs and maintenance, we put in 8%. And so generally, we put in 5% for a condo or townhome or 8 to 10% for a house for multifamily. Well, this house was updated. It was in really good shape. So we felt like 8% was a good number to use. So I'm using percentages here, 8 and 10%. And that is 8% of the rent and 10% of the rent. 
So that's what we can assume there. When I say those numbers, that percent is across the rent. So this is a detached home. So there's no HOA. The real estate taxes, uh, just over $1,900. And the annual property insurance, we're estimating about $1,500 in a landlord property insurance once they move out. Because there is a difference in insurance premiums for while you're living in there versus once you move out. Now, while you're living in there, you usually have more options on there for your personal property and other items like that. So make sure you talk to an insurance agent and we give you a referral for one or two good ones if you need help on there to understand the difference between an owner-occupant insurance policy and a policy for once you move out of the property. So we're spending about $1,500 in insurance, which is, you know, we're usually within a couple hundred dollars of that based off what we're seeing. Anywhere from as low as about $1,000, upwards of like $1,700, $1,800. So $1,500 is a good go-to rule of thumb we use for detached properties. As far as utilities, the tenant will pay those utilities either directly themselves or will reimburse the owner, the landlord, for the uh, utilities. So a lot of times, owners keep water and sewer in their name, and they either bake it into the rent or they charge it back to the renters and the renters pay them for it. And then electric is something that the tenants will pay for themselves. Electric and gas, they can put put the Excel bill in their name. Since this is a detached home with one tenant, We'll have them take care of landscaping and snow removal. And so therefore, we have really low expenses. This is Denver, so trash is including your property taxes. So that also minimizes utilities there as well. All right, let's look at this from an analysis. So this is a screenshot of the second tab of Joe's spreadsheet on the cash flow tab. So we have our annual expenses, about $8,700 a year. So that rent, gross rents, minus $8,700 annual expenses, leaves us a net operating income of about $19,800. So we're expecting about an $1,800 a month mortgage payment and about $139 a month in mortgage insurance. Now remember, the mortgage payment amount is pretty darn accurate. The mortgage insurance, it's a ballpark. and It's a very wide ballpark because it's so dependent on your credit profile and the property that it will change uh, based off of what you're doing. So once you go under contract, that's where you get the exact amount for what your monthly payment is. And you also look at the option for prepaying if you're doing a conventional loan. So you subtract out the rent minus expenses, minus the mortgage payment, minus the PMI. We're showing a native cash flow of $3,600. So if you look at that, I'm like, wow, okay, well, it's negative cash flowing. So if you wanted to get that to a lower number, some options you always have once you move out is you can self-manage the property. So we put in 10% there for property management, and that's about $3,000 a year in rents. So if the clients are self-managing, where they are not paying property management, but they're putting their time in there, well, they could save $3,000 a year approximately, which would bring their cash flow down to about $600 negative a year. At that point, once we're below $1,000, either whether it's negative or positive, I call that pretty much a break-even or neutral cash flow because you always have little expenses or some swing slightly one way or the other. And keep in mind, this is with real underwriting. We have a vacancy expense in there. We have repairs and maintenance in there. So we're accounting for not just the mortgage payment, but also accounting for uh, mortgage, taxes, insurance, repairs, maintenance, and other costs you have with running the property. Now, of course, if they really wanted to get higher rents, they could always rent it out room by room and get rents higher than that 2400 most likely. But 
they're along the lines like, hey, you know, they have good jobs, good income. They're very long-term outlook. So their plan is to acquire a couple properties using a nomad strategy with a really low down payment. So that way they can acquire a few properties while holding high cash reserves to handle any expected curveballs from life, you know, the property or tenants itself or the market. So overall, this is a great fit for their personal and their investing goals. And this is something I always emphasize with people. Remember, you are house hacking, you're nomading. It can't just be the best rental property. It has to work for you for that one year while you're living there. Now, a lot of the really good rental properties we buy, they're really strong cash flow properties. I've yet to have any house hackers or nomaders want to go buy those properties to house hack or nomad. And that's because we're like, hey, yeah, I want to live in a a nice unit or a different part of town because it fits better for what they are looking for. And this is something you always have to take in consideration. What's the right fit for you and what's the right balance? And this is where you can't just look at a spreadsheet and have that determine what you're buying regardless of a rental property, but especially for a owner-occupied property that you are buying. So if you have any questions on this deal or you need help going out there yourself to put together a strategy, find properties, crunch numbers, give me and my team a call. This is what we do uh, you know, seven days a week. We find properties. We help people put together their strategy. All right, have a great one.